And there we go. Two weeks ago, we began a new series called Infrastructure. And thank you, Pastor Ben, for uh, filling the pulpit. Can you guys give him a hand for what he did last week? Thank you, Pastor Ben. He said on, on you know, I was kind of feeling like, you know, we're in the middle of remodel. Maybe I shouldn't, you know, it's not a good time for a vacation. He said, look, you got three pastors on staff with you now. We got this. We, we, we can handle this. And, and he was right. Between Pastor Keith, Pastor Ben, and Pastor Zach, they, these guys just do an amazing uh, job helping us out, and uh, we're grateful for their. So infrastructure, though, is, it's a buzzword in our society right now. If you turn on Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, Newsmax, whatever you, whatever you watch, ABC, NBC, you know, wherever, wherever you get your news, you hear that word. Why is infrastructure so important? It's because infrastructure is the underlying foundation or basic framework for anything. Whether it's a society, whether it's a, you know, an organization, a school, you've got to have a good structure, a good infrastructure in place. So how does that apply to us as a life of faith? We need a solid foundation to build our Christian life on. And that's good theology. That's good study. That's good teaching. And so we need something that later on we can drive on. And so we're in a series and a study on the book of Ephesians. It's the letter that Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus. And Paul's writing this. And the first half of the letter really is about dealing with foundational principles. This is some stuff that you need to learn, and then later on he says, okay, this is, how you, this is how you flesh this out. This is how you apply this to your life. So today what we're doing is we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This is a, a passage of Scripture that I have done extensive study on. Uh, in fact, in one of my graduate classes, I spent an entire semester breaking down this passage of Scripture, week by week, studying it, learning, growing in it. So Sasha will come to me sometime and she'll say, hey, I read this in the Bible. What does it mean? And I say, I don't know. And she says, didn't you go to Bible college? And I say, yes, I went to Bible college. But they didn't, they didn't like, uh, like tell me, like I didn't like learn every verse in the Bible. They just taught me how to study it and how to, how to take time and, and get into the Word and, and study it and break down what the words mean and do all that. So I haven't done that for the entire Bible but I have done it for this passage because I spent an entire semester on it. So what I'm sharing with you today is some of the things that I learned uh, during, during that, that course of study. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, I love this passage. It says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But our very nature, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God, 
Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. All around the world, there's uh, art galleries are filled with paintings and, and, and sculptures that are created by famous artists. I love being able to walk through a facility and, and see works, works of art and how, how they apply. Leonardo da Vinci, he painted the Mona Lisa, which is one of the most famous paintings uh, in the history of mankind. What, what seems to be a simple portrait uh, of someone has been held as a masterpiece. In 1974, the painting was on display in Tokyo's uh, National Art Museum. And there was a lady that was upset about the, the policies of the, uh, for disabled persons uh, of, of the, the museum. She got upset with them, and so she attempted to graffiti the Mona Lisa. She took a can of red spray paint, and she sprayed. Now, they were smart. They had actually a case that was housing the painting, and so she actually just spray painted the housing of this painting. That last verse of the text says, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. And so what God has done is he's created a masterpiece. Everybody say, I'm a masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. When he created, when, you, when he knit you, when he formed you in your mother's womb, you were created on purpose. You were created for a purpose. And God created you, but what happened is sin graffitied you. Sin stained you. And this teaching will describe how sin taints mankind and how the grace of God then takes that graffiti and erases it away. The first thing I want you to see, and you can write this in down if you're taking notes or following along today on the, the Bible app, you can access that at connectedhope.com. It's, the first thing I want you to see this is that sin stains God's masterpiece. Ephesians 2 verse 1 through 3 says, you, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, but our, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Sin stains. It taints a person's life, and it dooms them to death. It stains, it, it leaves a mark, if you will. The word dead suggests misery, it suggests grief, it suggests separation. Sin and transgression separate individuals from the source of life. So sin separates us from God. It creates a life of grief and a life of misery. So there's this beautiful masterpiece of creation called humanity. We were designed to be pure and holy individuals walking in the garden of Eden. We weren't designed to do what we were doing today, to, you know, get up and put 40 hours of work in and all this. We were designed just to hang out in the Garden of Eden and hang, I mean, that gummit Eve, I mean, come on, you know, Adam, you should have got your wife under control there. 
I mean, there's, there's, something, there's something about that moment that, that, that when, when the apple or the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil was taken and, and was eaten and, and, and she gave it to her husband who was there with her, there was graffiti, there was stain that took place in that moment in time. We were designed to be pure and holy individuals walking in the garden with God. However, sin entered the world and left its mark. The mark is death. The mark or the stain is grief, it's misery, it's death. And it says, once you were dead because of your sin, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wages are what a person earns based on their work. When you work, you get a paycheck. If you're working for a company, you get a paycheck, and on that paycheck, it, it'll say you were, if you get paid hourly, you you it, you work 40 hours, you get paid for 40 hours. If you work 30 hours, you get paid for 30 hours. If you're on salary, well, God bless you. You get paid one thing, and you work as many hours as as uh, they want you to. And, and so, you wages are what a person earns based on their work, based on the sin in a person's life. The wage is death. Well, what is that death? It's eternity in hell. It's, it's, it's dealing with the, the, the state of sin in our society. The terms transgressions and sin do not compartmentalize sin. I, I want you to get this this morning. I think we've done a, a horrendous job in modern, in modern Christianity of compartmentalizing sin. Well, this, this is okay, and this is not. Listen, sin is sin. Sin is sin. There's no good sin. There's no awful, horrible, I mean, it's all sin. It all leads to death. It all will cause you to have eternity in hell. And so, you know, you may be naturally good by nature and just be a good person and, and do good things. But listen, if you did one bad thing, if you did one sin, if you, maybe you shared some gossip that you shouldn't have share, shared, and, that, and that's not something that we call a big sin in our society, it's just kind of the the national pastime, if you will, uh, of people sharing this or doing that. If, if you did something against, if you slandered someone, if you did that, it, it, well, that's okay. But if you did this, if you committed murder, if you had this sexual sin, if you did this in your life, then, then, then that's horrible. But listen, it's all sin. It all causes us to fall short of the glory of God. In today's culture, there seems to be this categorization of sin, and Paul did not delineate between sin. He didn't say, okay, this is all right, or this is not that bad, or this is, you know, type one sin, type two sin. No, it's all sin. There's no little sin or big sin. Sin is sin, and death is the result. Wow, good news, Pastor, on a Sunday morning. Thank you for encouraging me on July 4th weekend. Sin stains. But guess what God does? He recreates. He recreates. He re, he, here's the creator, and he takes his masterpiece and he recreates it. Look at, the, look at Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. It says, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sin, 
He gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he has raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of this incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. When Maddie was young and... and and she had gotten like her first, you know, iPod touch. You guys remember the old iPod touches? It was like an iPhone, but it didn't have like cellular service. And so, you know, we'd gotten her and we'd gotten Kenzie one of those for, for Christmas, I think. And so they were at their grandmother's while Sasha and I were at youth camp. And Maddie calls me from Sasha's mom's house and says, um, like she's trying to get a hold of me and Sasha's mom's texting me and says, Maddie needs to talk to you. And I'm like, what in the world? Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm confused why she actually has to talk to me like right then. So I step away and, you know, if you've ever been to our campground, there's about two places that you can get reception. So I think I actually had to climb the back side of one of the buildings up the fire escape about halfway and sit down just so I could call and talk to her and be like, okay, what's, what's going on? And when I said, I said, Bud, what's, what's going on? Are you okay? And she starts weeping on the phone. And I'm like, what's going on? It's, you know, I mean, of course, everything in your dad mind, you know, goes to worst case scenario. Like, you know, uh, you know, what all of it is going through my mind. I'm thinking, what has happened? I, I need to get in the car right now and go get her. I need to, and she said, Daddy, I've done something really bad. It's so bad. And she's weeping and crying. And I'm like, oh, man, she has this iPod. I'm thinking the iPod Touch. I'm thinking she stumbled upon some kind of site. You know, we've tried to do the best of things, videos. but some, I mean, I'm worst case scenario, y'all. She's like, Dad, I've done something so bad. I said, well, Bob, what is it? And she said, my, I left my iPod right there and and I hit on the chair and I dropped it and it fell on the floor my my in-laws have like these nice floors that but they're but they're like tile brick tile things and and it fell on the floor it broke the screen and I'm thinking praise God that's like, like that's where there's like I, I mean there's no pornography on the phone there's no like I, I've looked at a video I shouldn't look at I'm listening to something I should I mean I'm like praising Jesus right there I'm having Holy Ghost revival on the backside of the camp all because you know I, I I mean I'm so relieved but in her mind she had done something so bad and she's crying and she's like and I said listen buddy it's okay and we're going on vacation though next week I said it's okay when I get home we'll get it fixed. So what did dad do? When he gets home, I find the repairman. I take it to the repairman. I pay the $75 to recreate it just like it was brand new. Now, here's what I also did. I said, dad's going to pay for the first one. Next time this happens, this is on you, but I want you to know there's grace here. There's grace Here's, here's the reality with, with God. Sometimes we take the masterpiece, our life, and we mess up. We blow it. But he recreates us. Albert Barnes, he said this. His great love was the reason why he had compassion on us. 
It's not that we had any claim or we deserved his favor, but it is that God had for man original and eternal love, and that love led to the gift of a Savior and to the bestowment of salvation. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I can, as a father, I can understand that. When my daughter calls me, I've done something so bad, Dad. It was my love for her that caused me to pull out $75 out of my wallet. I actually swiped my card because if you know me, I don't carry much cash. And I swiped my card, and I was happy to do that, to recreate something for her because I love her, because I care about her, because there's something inside of me. But listen, God doesn't just love one or two children. He loves all of us. See, I just have my kids. I love kids. I'm, I'm, exci- I'm so excited to be able to see, you know, Tisha talked about her kids earlier. I can't wait to see Matthew and Emily, whether it's tonight or tomorrow, because I haven't seen them, and I'm excited. But I know that she's more excited to see them than, than even I am. And there's something about your own kids. But, see, God doesn't just single out uh, one or two people. We're all his children. He's made us all his kids, and he loves us equally. I want you to understand that you're equally loved by God. And he, if you were the only one, he would have sent his son to die for you. He would have sent his son to recreate you as the masterpiece. God provided this process for recreation by sending his son Jesus to pay the price. John 3.16, we said it over and over again. It's a scripture that as a child that most of us probably learn. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not not perish, but have eternal life. So what he said was, hey, listen, I know the wages are death, but let me just erase that and let me give you life instead. I know you deserve death, eternity, and hell, but let me give you heaven. And guess what, friends? We can have heaven and all of the blessings of God that fall on this earth as well. We can have the healing power. We can have the the forgiveness of our sin. We can walk in victory on this earth. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus because there's something inside of God that said, I have compassion, I'm rich in mercy, then I'm going to send my son to die for you and recreate you. Oh, I love the classic song, Oh, What a Savior, that details that process. It says, Oh, what a Savior. Hallelujah. His heart was broken on Calvary. His hands were nail scarred. His side was driven. He gave his lifeblood for you and me. There's something powerful that happened in that moment that he said, here's the process. All you've got to do is receive it. It was through the cross that God recreated this masterpiece. Sin stains were washed away by the power of the blood of Jesus. See, man, write this down, man cannot recreate the masterpiece. No matter how much you try, man cannot recreate the masterpiece. Now, when Maddie's phone got, uh, iPod touch got messed up, you know, the first thing I did was Google how to do it. How do I fix it? Because I'm thinking, man, I can order the screen. I can get that screen. I can fix my, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty tech savvy guy, right, Pastor Ben? I'm a pretty tech savvy guy. I can figure it out. All of a sudden, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, this ain't a process for me. I've got to get an expert. I've got to get an expert to deal with this. I I Googled it. I watched the YouTube video. I, I did all this, but, but I wasn't willing to take this two, three, four hundred dollar, whatever it was at the time, iPod Touch, and just put it in my amateur hands. I needed a professional. Man thinks that they can recreate the masterpiece. 
from the Brady Bunch to the Cosby Show. Sitcoms have used the same storyline of someone who breaks their parents' favorite coffee cup, their parents' favorite vase. Instead of owning up to the mistake, what do they try to do? They try to fix it. They get out the super glue. In our day and age, we call it getting out the gorilla glue, putting it back in. Man, we do the same thing. Sin stains man life. We do something, we mess up, we fall short of the glory of God, and we try to make up for it by doing good. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, though. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Write this down. Underline this in your Bible. Circle it, because I think we need to get this. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. It's by grace. It's by mercy. Believers have been saved. It's not, let, let, me, let me help us out this morning. None of us deserve it. It's unmerited favor. It is not by anything we did to earn it, but it is a gift from God. So no matter how much paint of good works you try to do, no matter how much paint you try to apply to your masterpiece. Oh, I did this. It is still stained until God's grace kicks in. You can give. I gave, I gave $1,000 to the church. I gave $10,000. I gave $100,000. You can give as much money as you have. You can serve. Well, I was at every workday since 1979. I went every time pastor had a work day, I was there. Every time they asked for somebody to help in the nursery, I was there. Every time they did, I, I served, I served. I helped, I helped this person, this person came to me and they needed help, and this person came to me and they needed help, and I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and I donated these clothes to the women's shelter, and I fostered children, and I did all of those things that every time pastor had a new initiative, I came out and I helped with it. And, and listen, you can do all of those things. And you can still spend eternity in hell. There's no amount of good works that you can do. I don't care how long your list is. It does not matter when it comes to eternity. Sin stains the masterpiece of God. And the only one that can recreate the masterpiece is the creator. The only one that can recreate the masterpiece is the creator. John Wesley Adams powerfully declares, he says, God's grace operates within committed believers, both to will and to act according to God's good purpose. From beginning to end, salvation is by the grace of God. And it's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't, there's nothing that you can do to say, to make God love you anymore. He loved you so much that he sent his son. There's nothing you can do to recreate that masterpiece. It's not earned. You cannot earn your way to heaven. All you have to do is commit your life to God and receive the free gift of salvation. That's all you have to do. It's just to say, God, I'm asking you to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. No matter good that you can, listen, no amount of good that you can do can earn your way into heaven. But here's the good news. 
God recreates believers. And the reason he recreates believers is write this down. He creates them for good works. Not because of good works, but for good works. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Believers are not saved by good works. They're saved to do good works. We get this backwards. We get this backwards. We try to work our way into heaven or into favor with God. Well, you know, if if I just do this, if I just do that, then then God's going to love me more. You know, if I, if I show up to church every time the door is open and if I give faithfully, then God's going to love me more. No, God's, God already loves you. The favor, the, the, the reason that you show up to church on Sundays and the reason that you give in the offering, the reason that you serve, and the reason that you love your neighbor as yourself, the reason that you do all of the good works that are in there, the reason you foster children, that you give into women's shelter, the reason you do all those things is because God already loved you and he cared for you enough to send his son. And so you're saved to do those things. You don't earn your way in because you're doing those things. You cannot get more favor from God by the things that you do. You got the favor of God on your life when he sent his son Jesus 2,000 years ago to die on the cross for your sins. They try to work their way into heaven. They try to earn favor. Doing the good things God planned for us long ago has to be an outflow of our Christian life. We do this because we are saved. We walk because we are saved. We, we do these things. We want to do these things. It's not a sacrifice to do these things. It's because we want to do these things because God loved us, so now we love other people. God showed compassion to us, so now we show compassion to other people. God was merciful to us, so now we're... Listen, listen, we need to put off the judgmental spirit in the Christian church because God was not judgmental with us in the fact that when he said, listen, I'm going to send... I don't care... My, 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 my. I don't care how many tattoos they have. I don't care how many holes in their head they have. I'm still sending my son to die on the cross for their sin. We don't need to clean them up. Listen, we, it's not our responsibility. We need to allow God to let us come in and just be merciful and graceful and loving and unjudgmental and say, listen, we're going to be a place of hope for you and for people of the society. It's time that the Christian church be who God made us to be. Oh, this is good preaching. I, I, I know. It's got to be an outflow of who we are. Of who we are. Has somebody ever done something for you and you felt like you owed them a debt? Like you, 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 they, they gave you something nice, you, you know, whatever you feel, you feel like you owed them a debt. That's not what this is. We're not doing good works because we owe God. What he does is he says, here, listen, you're my masterpiece. The masterpiece was originally created to be loving. 
The masterpiece was originally created to be filled with compassion. The masterpiece was real. So when he recreates us, he's really creating us with a DNA that is loving, that is compassionate. And if you want to know what that DNA is, look in Galatians chapter 5 where the fruit of the Spirit is. And he said it's love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. If you want to see what the DNA is, that's the DNA. And that's the DNA that we're supposed to be created with, with the fruit of the Spirit being evident in our life. And so guess what? He recreated us to be that masterpiece, to be loving, to be joyful, to have peace in our life, to have self-control, to be kind, to be gentle, and he recreates us in this moment. And so to do the good things that he planned for us long ago should be an outflow. We should do those things because we've been redeemed, because we've been forgiven. The phrase he planned for us long ago implies that he has a plan for every believer. God's got a plan for you. God's got a plan for you. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown explained this. He said, God marks out for each and his purposes beforehand the particular good works, the time and way which he sees best. God both makes ready by his providence the opportunities for the works and makes us ready for their performance. God's going to put you in places and set you up with people at the right time in the right way so that you can do what he planned for you long ago. Divine opportunities, divine opportunities are there because God planned them in advance. We just have to be open to see and seize them. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14 says, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. And no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. We, we live in a world that, that screams, see me, notice me. See me, notice me. Our, our social media platforms afford us the opportunity to put out a highlight reel of our life every day. How many saw my pictures from Walt Disney World? Pretty cool, huh? I'm telling you, I was like a little kid in a candy store walking through Star Wars land. I mean, it was amazing. As I'm, I'm walking, I'm seeing my child. I'm sitting in the Millennium Falcon. I'm, I'm, my childhood is coming to life. I, mean, I even said to the girls at one point, I was like, I, I, I think one of them asked me, Have, did you ever think that as, as, a, as a kid that you would be able to like go in and sit down? And No, no. I mean, I had the little Millennium Falcon. There's no way. I realized that someday it would be life-size, and I'm sitting at the little table where Chewie and R2 are playing the little chess game, and I'm, and, and I'm sitting sitting there, and I'm, I'm walking through the, the thing, and, and I'm, I'm like quoting lines of the movie. It was amazing. It was amazing. Guess what I didn't show on my social media feed? I didn't show you that I walked an average of nine miles a day. And at 48 years of age, let me just tell you, walking nine miles a day at 48 years of age is not fun. I didn't show you at night when I would sit in bed and moan, oh, oh, man, oh, these dogs are tired. Like, I was trying to convince somebody to rub my feet every night. Like, come on, which one of y'all going to rub my feet? This old man, like I'm looking at all, all, the, all the old people there uh, that had the little scooters. You know what I'm talking about, the little scooters? And I'm thinking, what age is it appropriate to begin to rent one of those scooters? 
Like I'm, I'm, I'm having this thought that there that, 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 that comes a point. I don't know if it's 50. I don't know if it's 50. No, it's not 50. I don't know if it's 60, but I'm looking forward to the day when my grandkids and I'm taking them to Dizzy and I'm getting to ride around on a little scooter. You know, they give you special treatment to get the little scooter. You go to a certain point in the line, you don't have to sit. I, I'm telling you, I'm looking for that. But we live in this world of see me, notice me, and putting our highlight reels out there. And there's some things that we don't put out there. We don't put our aches, and we don't put our pains, and we don't, we don't say every day when we got this and we got that going on. And there, there's some people that tell you every minute of every day of their life, and then there are others that are more like, like my wife, reserved. They don't, they don't want the whole world knowing about what's going on or what happens. And I've noticed in the Christian world that there are people that only share what makes them look good. When they pray with somebody, they post about it. When they meet a need, they post about it. When, I, when I've, I've wanted to share a, a, a powerful testimony, and look, I think there's something. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. I think there's something that's powerful about sharing a testimony. But when I've wanted to do that, first thing I do is I check my motive. Am I about to hit send on this post? Am I about to put this picture on the Instagram to make me look good or to give praise to God? Is my motive to give God glory? Then share. Is my motive to have everyone's attention on me and give me the attaboys and the accolades and all that? Then I don't hit share. See, Jesus is the light of the world. He is our source of light. So when we shine, when we shine, it's to radiate His glory. It's not to make us look good. It's not to make us famous. It's not to make us an influencer, if you will. It's to make Jesus famous. And when we shine, it's not for us to get the praise. Look at verse 16. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, comma, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. That's it. That's why we do good works. It's so that it turns back to the creator who has recreated us in Christ Jesus to do the good works long ago so that he can get the praise and he can get the glory and he can get the honor so that he gets the accolades so that we make Jesus famous. It's not about making Hope Family Fellowship famous. It's not about making Rusty Posey famous. It's not about any of that. It's about simply making Jesus famous among our friends and our family that he, the recreator who has created us and knew in Christ Jesus can get the good work, can get the praise for the good works that we're doing that he planned for us long ago. So just like the lady who spray painted the Mona Lisa, sin stains God's masterpiece. And in his love and mercy, guess what he does? He provides a process to recreate his masterpiece by sending his son Jesus to pay the price for man's sin. There's no amount of good works. There's no amount of works man can do to earn salvation. It's by grace that man is saved. So God recreates this masterpiece to do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, God, for your word. Lord, this is an amazing passage of Scripture that, that there's so much truth in it, God, so much foundational infrastructure, truth in it. And I'm asking you today, God, that you would take this word, God, implant it deep in our spirits, that it's something that we live. It's a foundational truth. It's an infrastructure that we drive on, that we live our life on. God, today I praise you and I thank you, Lord, for who you are. God, we give you praise.
today. Here's what we're going to here's how we're going to conclude the service today. We're going to conclude it in worship in a moment and we'll come up at the end and pray, but before we do that, I want us to receive communion. If you're watching online this morning, let me uh, Pastor Ben's passing the elements out here, and we can't pass them through the TV or through the, the computer, wherever you're watching today. But would you go get some juice and get some bread real quick? Maybe some crackers, some water, whatever you've got. Take just a moment and grab that today. We're, those of you that are in the room, we're going to give you a, a communion packet for you to receive. And the ushers are, are passing out the elements right now. As they're doing that, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven says, So if anyone eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily, that person is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That's why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking from the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup unworthily, not honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. What's that scripture mean? They would have these love feasts, they called them. Kind of, we, we, we call them a church fellowship. And they would come in at potluck, they would bring, different people would bring food. And what were happening in the love feast is that some people were not being served. Some people were. And so everybody's in the room. And, and you, can you imagine... If we, we said, hey, only, only those who can bring food get to eat today. Like if we would have been back at our, our, our church today and, and we, we had everything back in line and we were in our fellowship hall, this would probably have been a day that we would have fired up the grill. Bradley's over there cooking hot dogs and hamburgers and getting everything ready, and then he brings his little black stone. It's awesome. He's got the vegetables all chopped up. Oh, I'm making you hungry. Got the peppers and the onions. I love when he does that. He's cooking that up. Joe's out there helping him, and we get all this together, and we come in, and we've asked a few people to bring buns and pickles and relish and mustard and mayonnaise and ice. God bless our ice people. We have all, all this together. And Sue says, Pastor, would you pray over the food? And she says, but before you do, she's our hospitality director. Only those of you who brought something today can eat. If you know Sue, that's not in her DNA. There's never a distinction. But in, in the Corinthian church, there would be. They would sit at the table and there's a hierarchy and so based on this and, and, and based on that, they would put leadership in, in, in one table. And, and then finally, those who are poor and they couldn't afford anything, they're just sitting on the windowsill back here. Paul's saying, listen, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's sin. And he said, you you're over here, you're receiving the bread and you're remembering the compassion and the mercy of God and you're, and, and, and you're, you're remembering the, the blood of Jesus and you're remembering Isaiah 53 where he says, it's by his wounds we are healed and you're, remember, you're remembering this by taking the cup and the bread. He said, but you're not, 
you're not drinking in a worldly manner because you're not replicating the DNA of what it's truly about. You don't have the fruit of your spirit, you know, because there's nothing loving about you letting these people sit over here hungry while you gorge yourself on the love feast. You see, I think sometimes we miss this in our cultural context because I preach this. And I do believe there's a context of, you know, not taking this when you got some kind of sin in your heart. But I, I think we need to look at it in the context of today's message. God recreates us with his DNA. And, and, and when we're recreated anew, we've received that grace and the mercy of God. And so when we're not walking in alignment with his infrastructure, we need to examine ourselves. And say, God, is this who I am? Maybe, maybe you're here today and you're like, man, this is brand new for me. Or you're watching, you tune online, think, this crazy preacher, what is he talking about? Very simple. We've told you today, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Say, how do I receive it? It's very simple. Scripture teaches us if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. So as our time of reflection today, examination, I want us to pray a prayer together. And I'm gonna pray the prayer and I want you to repeat after me. And I believe if you'll repeat this prayer after me you'll, and mean it in your heart that you'll be saved. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin so that the Creator could recreate me anew in Christ Jesus to do the good things He planned for me long ago. Now I believe you're the Son of God, that you died rose again and you're the Lord of all thank you for saving me thank you for setting me free in Jesus name amen come on if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it in your heart I believe that you are saved if this is the first time you prayed it or maybe a time that you prayed it and you really meant it and you needed to like this is a moment of recreation for you come see me after service today I want to talk to you or if you're online today if you'll text uh, or just message uh, this email address prayer at hopefamily.tv that goes to Pastor Ben and he will connect with you and, and if it needs to be connect you with me as well and we'll get we'll get some things into your hand to help you on your journey uh, today I just believe that this is not a moment where we go through a motion of something that we've done before, but it's that we truly believe and we truly remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. Paul said this to the church in Corinth. He said in verse 23, For this is what the Lord himself said, and I pass it on to you just as I received it. On the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you're in the room, would you just take that top little cellophane off of your, hold this little wafer in your hand. And would you all do this with me? Would you break it? Now let's thank the Lord for the bread. Father, we thank you 
It's by your stripes that we are healed. Come on, church, let me hear you this morning. We thank you for your broken body. It's by your stripes, Lord, that we can have healing. And I pray for those that are in this room today who need healing, those that may be tuned in online today that need healing. I'm asking you to touch their body. I pray for Jeremiah's mom, Vicki. I pray for healing in her body today. I pray for complete healing in her body this morning. Lord, for those that are they're struggling and need a, a touch today, God, I pray that you would touch them and heal them today. In Jesus' name, it is by your stripes, God, we are healed. And we stand firm on that word today. Come on, let's take the bread together. Verse 25. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Come on, can we thank him right now in your own words and way? Would you thank him for his shed blood? that recreates us anew in Christ Jesus to do the good thing that we planned for long ago. This is the process of recreation. God, thank you, Lord, for your masterpiece, creating each and every single one of us, God. And I thank you not only that you did that once, but you did it again. God, you recreated us anew when we accepted you as our Lord and Savior. And God, by the power of your blood, you washed away our sins. Cast them afar away as the east is from the west. And we thank you for that today. Come on, let's receive the cup together this morning. Thank you, Lord. Come on, would you stand to your feet this morning? Would you worship him? And would you give him praise? As Tisha leads us in this song this morning. God, we thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we love you. of life's demand shameful sin placed on him the hope of every man oh the blood of Jesus washes me Shed for me. So 
For you. 
Father, we thank you for your blood. We thank you, Lord, for your shed blood. Without the shedding of blood, Lord, there's no forgiveness of sin. And God, today, as we remember this day, and we thank not only this day of the freedom that we have in you, we ask, Lord, that you would bless our nation. We ask, Lord God, that you would return our nation to the founding principles that it was founded upon. We ask, God, that you would touch our soldiers and those that are, that are protecting us. God, we ask, Lord, for our government leaders, for our nationally, state, and local, God, that you would minister to them. And I pray, God, for the church of America. God, that we would rise to the occasion. God, that in this last days, Lord, you would pour out your spirit upon all flesh. God, and that we would see the greatest move of God in the history of our nation. God, greater than the Brownsville revival. Greater than the awakenings that happened in the early 1900s. Greater, Lord, than the healing revivals that took place in the 60s. The Jesus movement of the 70s. The charismatic movement of the 80s. God, I pray for a revival that is second to none. To sweep across our nation, an awakening, a turning back, Lord, of those that have walked away from you, God. I pray for prodigals to return home, and I pray, God, for a move of your spirit like no other. And God, Lord, as we take this moment today, I I, want to thank you, God, for giving us this place to meet these last nine weeks. God, and I know that as we step away from this place to go back to our our location in Jefferson Street, I pray, God, that the Spirit of God that is, has been just, just permeated through this room over the last nine weeks, God, would linger, God, and that as our, our, our students and our faculty return, God, come this August, Lord, I pray that when they walk into this room that they would feel something different. Not, not just this room, but every hallway, God, that they would feel your presence. Lord, that there would be something different about this school where troubled kids come in. I pray, God, that peace would rule and reign in their hearts. God, I pray for teachers to have the wisdom of God, Lord, as they begin to instruct these young students. I pray, God, Lord, for a revival among our, our staff and our teachers. I pray for an awakening among our students, that Lord not only would would start at this campus, Lord, but it would go to every other campus and every other church and every other place, Lord, that Sulphur Springs would be a city on a hill that could not be hidden. God, that we would see the good works that you want us to do, and we would do them here, not only here in Sulphur Springs, but all the surrounding area and everywhere we go. Lord, I pray for everyone that walks into this school this year, for every angry parent that comes in, Lord, that's confused by what their, their students learning or they heard something that wasn't truth. I pray, God, that when they walk in this room, this, this building, that peace would set in. Lord, I pray, God, for clarity and wisdom. And I pray, God, that there would be prayers that are prayed in this building over the next year, God, where healings take place. God, where, where salvations take place where there's a hunger, a genuine hunger. God, help us to leave this place better than we found it. God, and I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. Now, God, I pray right now that you would bless your church, your people, that you would keep them, that you would make your face shine down upon them and be gracious to them and give them peace. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Happy half of a have a happy Fourth of July, and you guys enjoy all the hot dogs that you want today because tomorrow the diet starts. God bless you guys. <laughs>